Greetings, fellow gamers. In this episode, we have a fantastic discussion with Sophie Berkeley about using games in therapy and synergetic play therapy. However, I'd like to take this opportunity to meet the moment. We find ourselves situated in a world in crisis. I'm not talking about the pandemic. I'm talking about the systemic racism that is the cancer in our core. You don't have to look very far to find the trappings of the world reflected in the games we play. Rolling for Change holds this key tenet, that gameplay can provide a place of growth for those who will seek it out. Part of that seeking is to hold designers and players accountable for their actions. At Rolling for Change, we know black lives matter. We want diversity at the table. We want the world to play games together, to grow together, and to work together to support each other. However, it's not enough just to point to the problem. We have to educate ourselves and look for the ways that racism is embedded in our own worldview. Enlightenment is the long game. Rooting around in the psyche to find the shadows that linger is part of growth, and we have to have the will to shine a light on those hidden structures. I'll work on me, you work on you, and we'll support one another in finding the changes that bring us closer together as a community. Black lives matter, and it's up to each of us to empower the changes that unearth systemic racism and allow diversity at our table. Welcome to Rolling for Change, a podcast about the transformational nature of gaming. I'm your host, Woody Harris. I am joined by your co-host, Josue Cardona. Hello. Hello. And we are also joined by special guest, Sophie Berkeley from Growing Potential in Steamboat Springs, Colorado. Yep. Uh, good. I got it right. I got it right. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome. Thank you. We're very excited to talk to you. <laughs> awesome. So, uh, I you came to my attention through an an article. I guess it ran in some Steamboat Springs newspaper, um, identifying that uh, there were people doing special things during uh, during the pandemic. And really, the article was about you using board games in therapy. But I think you kind of said that you couldn't do it right now. Uh, because of the pandemic, but I, I did want to get into talking to you about how you use board games in therapy. So I'm a therapist. I've been doing therapy for hmm, probably about 15 years now. And um, I, when I started out, I started using board games in therapy, and I didn't think anybody around me was doing it. I thought I was kind of either I was either I was innovative, or I was a terrible therapist. One of the two. <laughs> and and so I started kind of learning how to make games work for the clients I was working with. And I was really excited to see that, okay, even though it's kind of a harebrained scheme and I wasn't getting any direction or supervision over it, um, it was working for the kids that I was working with. Uh, so when I saw that you were doing that, I definitely wanted to pick your brain and find out what's going on with Sophie that she uses board games and therapy. Ah, <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think, I think a big piece of... Um, of it is partially training as a therapist, like how you're trained, what kind mm -hmm. of therapy you do. 
So when I very first became a therapist, definitely board games were let's play Uno with a middle schooler so it doesn't have to be so awkward sitting here looking at each other and we have something to do while we talk. Yeah. Um, and then it really where I think using board games and therapy gets really awesome and really tricky um, is I'm trained in a model of play therapy called synergetic play therapy. It was okay. developed by a woman named Lisa Dion. And she was my first real therapist mentor. Um, and she developed synergetic play therapy out of, out of Colorado. She's their institute right now is based out of Boulder, but they train people all over the world. Um, and so the model of synergetic play therapy is really based on the neurobiology, the sciencey nerdy stuff. Um, attachment, all those kinds of pieces, as well as using play. Um, and I really like that model because it makes me feel like I'm not just some fuzzy bunny play therapist that wants to give hugs and talk about emotions. <laughs> um, <laughs> that it's based in science and real stuff is happening. Yeah. But the magic of synergetic play therapy is that there are some really um, crazy parts of it in terms of looking at relationship and how our brains work in relationship and how we function with emotions and within our nervous system. So um, in, in the playroom, when I play a game with a kid and they want to pull a game out, mm -hmm. um, it's I do child-directed play therapy. So they're in charge. They come in and I say, we get to do whatever you want to do in here. We're not going to hang from the ceiling or anything crazy like that. But, um, you know, it's you get to do what you want. So when a kid pulls out a game, they pull it out and they put it down on the floor or the table or wherever. And it really becomes me sitting down with them and saying, OK, so in this room, you we can play the game by the rules that come with the game or you can play the game however you want us to play the game. Which is a little bit scary. Because in the mode of doing child-directed play therapy is it's all about, it's not about me having control. I'm not teaching social skills. I'm not directly teaching how to regulate your nervous system or these things. It's happening in a sneaky way within the relationship in the room. So if I back it up a little bit, if, you, um, if you've ever learned about mirror neurons, they're super fascinating. You can find lots of fun Google videos. Um, YouTube videos um, if you look it up but the idea being that we have mirror neurons in our brains that allow us to connect with others um, and there's there's lots of studies and because I work with children and parents and try to keep things normal talk and not all sciency and fancy um, I, I keep simple language <laughs> so I can't tell you the exact study or all that stuff um, Later, if you're desperate to know, I can go look back in my notes somewhere buried. Um, but one of the studies was they were trying to map, kind of map out the brain of what part of the brain does what function in the body. And they had these monkeys hooked up to electrodes or whatever, and they'd give them a peanut and they'd oh, his arm moved. That must be that part of the brain and that kind of thing. And then mm -hmm. one day a researcher walked by and grabbed the peanut and popped it in his mouth. And all the same parts of the monkey's brain lit up. And they were like, what the heck is this going on? So that, and there's multiple studies on mirror neurons and I could have totally butchered that study, but that's what I remember from reading it a long time ago. 
Um, <clears throat> but the gist of it is, is that we have, we don't know everything about it, but that we have these mirror neurons in our brains. And that's what allows us to kind of feel what other people feel or to link up with them. So similar to um, if you walk into a room with a bunch of people super nervous and freaking out, you can start feeling that anxiety within your own body. That you're not mm. just picking up on the social cues, but there's also, you know, another part of you that's linking up with that. Um, it's also the part that how how we learn as humans to do emotions. So when you have a baby and the baby's crying, if you watch a caregiver that is tuned into that baby, they're going to look down at the baby and make a frowny face also. <clears throat> so they're, they're essentially mirroring that baby's face and they're in attunement with them. They're kind of feeling the sad or the discomfort also. And then you, if you watch, they'll start to go, shh, 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 which is actually a regulating activity. They're going to mm -hmm. start bouncing or rocking, which are also regulating activities. So the baby starts to learn, this is how I regulate, and they get back to a more regulated state. And so in the playroom, when I'm in the playroom with the kid, my job is to get in attunement with the kid. So that's essentially what you're doing as, as the caregiver with the baby that's crying, and you're looking down on them with a the sad face, and you're starting to feel the discomfort in your own body, is you're in attunement with the baby. And then how we know to make the noises and to rock is we just, we intuitively know that this is what my body needs to calm myself down, which is also what the baby needs to calm their down, their self down. And it's this really intricate interwoven thing that happens. So in the playroom, my job isn't to say, oh, you're looking really anxious right now. Let's take a deep breath. Because in that moment, we're then working in the, in the place of the brain that's like the thinking part of your brain. And the dysregulation is actually happening in your survival part of your brain. And so if we're having a conversation and Woody's really pissed off that I'm blowing this conversation and I'm not <laughs> answering his question and he starts to get really angry. If I say, just take a breath, he's going to like, well, if we had video, he'd probably flip me off maybe. You or he'd breath. be like, whatever. Right. Exactly. That's it. Right. But if he's really ticked off and then all of a sudden I'm like, I know, I don't know what to do. This is really intense and this is really frustrating. What the heck? Oh my gosh. <sighs> he's more likely to take a breath with me and not even know he's doing it, which is kind of crazy. So when we use games in the playroom, the game becomes a tool to um, help me link up with a kid in the nervous system. So it's not about following the rules. It's not about learning social skills. It's not about doing the right thing, um, all those pieces. The essential piece of the game is noticing when we're playing the game, what's coming up within my own nervous system as I'm linked up with the kid, as well as what's coming up within their nervous system. And then I'm focusing on regulating myself. I'm focusing on, oh my gosh, we're playing chess and this kid just changed the rules to when you get any guy to the other side of the board that you can pick any guy from the other board and put it where you want it to go. And like my head is like spinning and I feel like I want to throw up. So in the session, I am literally going to be like, oh my gosh, all the rules just changed. I don't know what to do. My stomach hurts. I am getting a spinny head. I feel like I'm going to throw up. And then I might have my hands on top of my head. I might be rocking forward and backwards, taking a breath. Holy cow, this is a lot. 
in that moment, I just linked up with all this anxiety and I modeled in the moment of how to work through anxiety. So those mirror neurons in that kid's brain and my brain are linked up. And then I'm going, yep, here's how you do anxiety brain. And that kid's brain is like, oh, look, that lady put her hand on her head and rocked a little bit and took a breath and things calmed down. That's interesting. I'm going to log that away. And pretty soon after a few times of modeling that, the kid's going to start doing it also when they get anxious. It's really crazy. So the game becomes a tool for tapping into our nervous systems and a tool to discuss relationship in a different way. Um, and to do therapy in a whole different way than just your typical, here's how you do the rules, here's how you play nice, how you take turns, like how I talked about in the article you read. <laughs> yeah. Does that make sense? Sometimes I wonder if I'm just talking my own language. <laughs> I think you're talking our language. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know anything about synergistic. Synergetic? Is that synergetic. What it's synergetic play, play therapy. therapy. That is not yeah. one I'd heard of yet. It's, it's newer. It's a newer model. I mean, it's not brand new by any means, but it's a, it's a newer model and it's very much a cutting edge in the play therapy world, especially there's, you know, there's some haters because it's super <laughs> new and it's not, it's not cognitive behavioral therapy. So playing right. a game in cognitive behavioral therapy would look much more like focusing on the rules, focusing on you know, what are you noticing in your body as you're losing, <laughs> or, you know, like that kind of thing versus, you know, me modeling, oh my gosh, I'm losing and <laughs> this is what I'm noticing in my body and I'm taking care of my body and regulating through it versus getting out of it. Um, yeah. So the message is kind of the, the child doesn't yet know how to self-regulate or there's some reason somewhere along the way that the child didn't learn to self-regulate. You're mirroring their experience and feeling what they're feeling, and then some sort of conscious process is taking over where you're like, okay, I'm going to consciously show them how to handle this kind of distress when you experience distress. And so the there's kind of a meta-language going on, which is this is how we handle these situations that's never being talked about. It's just being expressed. Wow, you're so smart. That's exactly. Yeah. <laughs> You just summed that's, up all my words in like two sentences. <laughs> but that's but that's but crazy that's because that's not that's what it. we usually usually think about. I mean, non-directed play therapy has been around for a little while, and I know that there are definitely some haters against that group of people because they're like, well, if you don't direct the play, how are you actually doing therapy? Right, and non-directive differs from synergetic because synergetic is a non-directive style, but you can also have synergetic play therapy isn't necessarily like. Um, Nah, what am I looking for? Like a curriculum or like this is how you have to do it kind of a way. It's not a prescriptive way of doing it. So really in the beginnings of learning synergetic play therapy, it is very much an emphasis on the non-directive um, because that's the harder part. But you can weave in directive play therapy. You can weave in any model of play therapy within synergetic play therapy. It's more of a way of being and more of a... Um, more of a I don't know a broader theory around it mm -hmm. um, but in the in the beginnings it it definitely helps to learn it non-directively because that's the hardest one to get <laughs> it's the scariest to do um, and the interjection so the difference between just traditional non-directive and synergetic is um, I hope Lisa's okay with me talking about this stuff I don't know 
she's like she's like the person i'm like oh my god am i butchering this right now i'm talking to lots of people about this um <laughs> so <laughs> don't tell her i'm talking to you um exactly yes i already looked her up you already know how to get to her um and i'm a consultant with the institute so this is really big time so i better get it right (laughs) but um the a huge piece like when you when you go to school to be a therapist they say transference and counter transference and projection Mm -hmm. are bad don't do that leave that at the door and now the science but okay (laughs) yeah but that's i mean essentially that's what you know, in school you learn, or there's, there's a lot of focus on, you know, transference and counter-transference. This isn't a good thing. And now, now that we have interpersonal neurobiology and Dan Siegel and like all these guys kind of coming out, Peter Levine, they're coming out and they're kind of saying, huh, really, you know, there's more going on between our nervous systems and you can't just check yourself at the door and just show up as this blank slate. Right. And so, you know, the, the piece that really rocks the world with synergetic play therapy is, is the piece of, we work within transference and we work within projection and that is part of the process so the idea of it's it really is a human it's a human thing we just don't think about it we all walk around setting each other up to feel how we feel like like that's just we just naturally do it so my my best example so here's another person i hope isn't listening to this is my husband and my kids because i use them for examples all the time so when I am sitting at my office and I used to work in community mental health, which means mm-hmm. overpaid and underworked, right? Uh, I and see. so you mean underpaid and overworked. I mean, yes, underpaid and underworked. Sorry. <laughs> I know because I'm a then supervisor I got into private practice and it doesn't really make you overpaid or over. Yeah. So <laughs> sitting in my office and I there is no way I'm going to get through all the Medicaid paperwork that I have to get mm. through by my deadline tomorrow. And I'm super overwhelmed and I've just seen 12 clients and oh, my gosh. And so I'm driving on my way home and I'm fried and I walk in my door and I open the door and I say, why isn't dinner started? Have you done your homework yet? Where is the dog barking? Hasn't anybody done this? And there I just spewed all of my emotions on my family and then guess what they brilliantly do they were totally happy before i came home but then once i get home they're running around and they're feeling i can't keep up there's no way i can get all this done right and having like i essentially just took like hot potato i had the hot potato of all the emotions of overwhelm and just chucked it at my family and now they're holding it and that's we all do it as humans all the time and part of it has to do with that awesome mirror neuron thing but some of it is if it's too big or overwhelming or if i'm not aware of it in terms of my emotions i'm going to chuck it at other people either i'm going to throw it at you so if i if you know woody is pissed off at me and yelling and i don't notice and regulate myself and take that deep breath and i go well you suck as as a person who's doing a podcast and you shouldn't even do this and uh, right if he makes me feel like i'm an idiot i can chuck it back at him and be like well you're the idiot and then if he doesn't think that he can throw it back at me like hot potato he's gonna do what i call kick the dog theory it's kind of a sick example but it's like the parent yells at the kid and the kid kicks the dog so woody makes me feel like an idiot and then i make woody feel like an idiot and if he doesn't think he can throw it back at me he's gonna be like well jose you suck (laughs) it would all be fine if you weren't here that i do right and pass it on (laughs) right 
So, so that's really, that is the foundation and the basis of really working with, within this idea of the synergetic play therapy is that, that the kids coming into the room and they're, they're, um, they're offering me what it feels like to be them if I just attune to what they're giving me and how they're setting me up to feel. And yeah. so then I get to receive that offering and I get to model what, you know, naming it, being aware of it, and then I get to model regulating through it. And that's the piece of I'm, yes, I'm scared, but I'm still Sophie. And so my heart's beating fast, I'm shaking, I'm freezing cold, but I'm still able to move and I'm still able to open and close my hands and take some breaths and I'm still able to regulate through this experience and find a neuroception of safety that, that I can make it through this. This is just an emotion, it's not who I am. Um, and so that's, that's the beauty of board games with kids is that they're gonna pick a game that, and they're gonna play it in a way that is what their challenge is currently happening in their life that they need to work on. So, you know, the kid who's picks chess, I hate chess so much. <laughs> I and I, I hate memory too, that game memory. Oh my God. Oh, the one where you turn the cards over? Yes. Ugh, yeah. I'm so bad at both of those. And so, <laughs> like, you know, a kid will pick that game and I have to quickly check my own trigger on it, right? So that's mm -hmm. my stuff. That's not the kid's stuff. And, and then, you know, they set the game up and then we can play by the rules or we can, you can make your own rules. And some kids play by the rules and still a lot of emotions come up. And sometimes play, kids choose to play by the rules until they're losing and then they change them. And then, you know, here comes the emotion of, I don't know what's going on or, you know, that stuff that I get to notice in my own body and I get to be authentically myself in the moment and regulate through it. And that's, that's the meat of rewiring brains with games, essentially. That is, that is so awesome. Just because it sounds like that the synergetic play therapy is like the neurobiological or the neuro, uh, neuropsychological mirror of what I've pretty much always read from the existential and humanistic uh, psychologists. It's just now we've got science to back up their their philosophical background so that that's exciting because I, I just was reading recently uh, a thing you know I'm trying to learn to be a good supervisor for therapists and one of the things I was reading recently was talking about how we needed to not try to chuck our, our um, counter transference at the door but to really recognize that that was something going on in the room at that moment and it meant something and so that's basically what you said that mirror neurons are doing Yep. And when you're supervising therapists, it's super fun because it it goes through like a hall of mirrors. Like when you look at your reflection <laughs> in a mirror and there's another and another and another all the way down the line. Yeah. So, right, I have my supervisee who has their client and, and they say, oh, my gosh, this kid threw sand all over the place. And, oh, and what do I do? And I shut down. Right. Uh -huh. And so I'm sitting and as they're telling me about this kid throwing sand in the room and blah, blah I'm feeling the activation in my own body of like, blah, that same blah, <laughs> right? And that's that's yeah. the emotion in the room that we're working on. So it's not only the kid projecting it to the therapist, but now the therapist is projecting it to me. And then I get to hold the space for the kid and the therapist. Mm -hmm. And I get to name it and then walk them through how to regulate through it. And then they're like, oh, sweet. So I'm going to do this next time. Or, oh, that's why it was brilliant what I did or whatever. That's, that's exactly, I, I love supervising because it's, I don't know. It's fun because it's like a double projection. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this idea of accepting, right, or, or uh, um, yeah, like accepting what's going on in the room, right? The, the transference, the counter-transference, all of this. To me, that's always been kind of a, a natural state, right? Um, but now we're all like deep into our careers and, we, and we've trained and we have validation right? <laughs> that, uh, that that's the way things work. Uh, but like th that's the way it was for me. It was always like a natural way of viewing the world. And once I found theories that aligned with that, I was very happy. Did, mm -hmm. did, did you feel that way before you found um, Lisa and, and her training? Yeah, because I, well, my first taste of therapy was I was in undergrad and I, I grew up on a ranch. And so I found equine assisted psychotherapy using mm -hmm. horses to counsel people. Yeah. So I went through and got my certification um, in as the horse professional, um, working as a team with a horse professional and a therapist. And so that was my first taste of therapy. And so, right, using horses, like they so much embody that and do that, which is so brilliant. <laughs> get the get the thinking brain out of the way and let's just get to the work. Um, <laughs> and so I, I did that and then I took a couple years off before I went back to grad school and I really toyed with getting back into that field of work and then I had a lot of my own personal stuff in my life and I really got disconnected from myself and very much in my head because I'm a big nerd. And so I, you know, like all the sciencey part and all these things. And I was like, little kids, no way am I going to work with little kids. I don't know what to freaking do with little kids. I'm going to work with mean teenagers, the meaner, the nastier, the harder, the better. Like that's my gig. Um, and so I, I worked at a, at a residential facility for a year um, and they broke me and put me in therapy, um, <laughs> which was good because that made me a good therapist now. But um after after that experience, then I had kids, and so I worked in childcare. Um, as a my first ski bum job was working in Vale or in Breckenridge for Vale Resorts um, mm. in their childcare center because that was the highest paying ski bum job there was. And <laughs> so I fell in love with little kids, and started to kind of get this knack of like, oh, we're connecting and we can connect and and that kind of thing. And having my own kids kind of woke that up. And then I went through grad school. And at right at the end, when I had just graduated from grad school, Lisa called me up and asked me to if I wanted to be a director of her program, her little nonprofit. And I was like, okay, yeah, job, awesome. Kids, play therapy, what is this? This is stupid. Like, <laughs> I was super annoyed that kids were throwing sand over all the time. And I was like, what is this? So I took her training. Um, as because I'm writing grants, <laughs> I'm yeah, like, yeah. right, running this nonprofit, I should probably know what the heck this is about. And I, I think I, I did an intensive training. So they do, it's a week long and you get, I think it's like six or eight sessions in over a week with the same client. And you, you're in a, like a group of three or four. So you have a one-way mirror and you guys get to watch each other's sessions. <clears throat> so by the end, you basically have seen almost a full therapy process with like at least four or five different kids. Um, and you've gone through the process yourself and there's training and it's super, it's, there's a reason it's called intensive. Um, but when I did that process, the, the little girl that I got as my client was, was so perfect and the game and my first, okay. So then we say, what's your most, what's the, like the situation that you're most scared of happening in the playroom when you walk in for the first time with your kid. And I was like, man, 
and I'm standing in the room and I'm looking around. I'm like, that game memory. I hate that game. I, can we take it out? <laughs> so guess what my kid pulled out? She pulled out memory. My first ever kid. And, and in that whole experience, like it really was, I felt like I came home. I could be myself. And mm. I don't know. I think I cried the whole week. <laughs> and I was like, they're going to think I'm not going to be a good therapist because I can't stop crying because I'm, I was just so relieved to be me yeah. and I don't have to show up as somebody else. I can, it really, I think at one point somebody told me the average play therapist lasts like two years before they get burnt out, wow. which makes sense because you're taking on all these emotions and we have this perception that little kids are breakable or, you know, that they're lesser than us or they're more fragile. And so it, it's more intense to sit with a little kid in sadness sometimes than an adult um, or when you're feeling the sadness too. <clears throat> and so, um, and it's part of Lisa's story. Like if you, I think she has, she tells her story on YouTube and she has a lot of YouTube videos, but part of her story is that she was getting very burnt out doing um, child-centered play therapy and that there must be something else out there um, and her story of developing synergetic play therapy is pretty awesome but the idea that I'm taking care of my nervous system in the room and I'm yeah. taking care of your nervous system it's not just about you it's about both yeah. of us and by the end of a session I might be physically tired because a lot has gone a lot of dysregulation has gone through my nervous system but I'm not emotionally tired because I've been able to regulate through it and flush it out so I'm not carrying it with me that's how I know that I didn't do a good enough job regulating in the session is when I take the kid home with me um, <clears throat> and they're there I'm feeling the same feelings that was in the room so it's it's a it's incredibly healing even for the therapist too because I'm working on my nervous system at the same time as the kid it's pretty magical yeah. Um, and super vulnerable and scary. <laughs> too. I would think so. It's easier to play a game by the rules and to know <laughs> what's going to happen, <laughs> right? <clears throat> it's much harder to work on, on emotions in the midst of a game and to work on life with the metaphor of the game um, is a lot trickier. Yeah. But at the same time, there's something like so much that you're saying resonates with, with me because when I started, I remember I was in my internship. I'm working with kids. I completely agree with that. You know, the the, the general play therapy idea of the you know play being the language of children. I think it's the language of everybody, to be honest. But uh, so I was I was at an internship and they had uh, a video game system there, and they had board games and stuff. But I was like, oh no no, like these kids love video games. Like. I can speak that language, let me use it. And my supervisor just shut it down immediately and told me how horrible video games are. <laughs> and within that same internship, I remember uh, the first therapist I was uh, kind of shadowing and partnered with, and we were doing uh, intensive in-home uh, therapy. And we went to a family's home, and I remember they asked me like where I was from, and and I told them, and my partner, who had a psychoanalytic background, was like appalled that I would even answer that question and say anything about myself and not remain this uh, blank slate. And it just it just felt so uncomfortable. Like both of those uh, situations made me who I am today. And oh, it's just like what, what you're talking about, like just 
feeling like your home like no 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 wait a minute like this this that we're doing this i can do this i can work in this environment this feels right uh, finding that is always it's always a good story no matter who's telling yeah. that story <laughs> yeah and you get a yeah. i i mean steamboat is a small very small town and so I used to live on my family's ranch and it's right on the highway. And I had, I mean, my clients know where I live <laughs> just because it's a small town. That's small town. So <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or the kids will ask me, you know, like, why weren't you home last night? <laughs> you know, like, why weren't you doing this? Or, Whoa. you know, I know when you're at your office, you know? And so, yeah, it's, and I really, this model of therapy is the only thing that allows me to be a good therapist in a small rural community. Um, because I have to be myself. <laughs> they see me in the grocery store yeah, when my yeah. kids are throwing a fit and that never fails. There's two parents laughing behind me that I just met with three days prior. Right. Like, <laughs> so I, I get to be myself and I have to be myself because yeah. people know me everywhere and see me. And, um, so there's, so I have a fun game talking about video games. So that's another question, you know, like if a kid brings a phone in or if they bring in their iPad and we're like, yeah, bring it in and work with it. Like that's part of the process. But I, you know, I kind of joked about it for a while until one, I have, I have two boys, um, one's in seventh grade and one's in fifth grade and they, they love their video games and there's always Mm -hmm. the conversation, right? As a therapist, (laughs) what game is okay and for how long and all those awesome pieces. But, um, so my youngest, he's, he's the only youngest child. So my husband's an only child. I'm a firstborn and then we have our firstborn son. So, and when you look in birth order, like our youngest is hosed in just personality (laughs) style and everything. And he has, he's, he is our personality of wanting to have fun and bright and, you know, wanting to be active. And then, you know, there's, there's the rest of us that are fine spending a weekend sitting around <laughs> and he wants to go out and hike and do things. And so he feels, I'm sure he feels a lot that he's kind of doesn't fit in or is left out. We're constantly telling him to sit still and knock it off and <laughs> that kind of thing. So one, one night, he was like, mom, will you play Minecraft with me? And I'm like, okay, fine. Sure. Like I played video games as a kid. And, and this is after like, I'm a lightweight. So a glass of wine at dinner is enough to affect me. So after Mm. a glass of wine, and so we sit down and we don't have a huge TV, but it's decent size. And when you play two people playing Minecraft at the same time, they do the split screen thing Mm -hmm. that is like, it's mind boggling anyway for me to see one screen, let alone like, where are you? Where am I? And he gives me the controller and we're sitting on the floor and he's showing me like how to move and I'm doing the buttons and I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm looking up. How do I go forward? Where am I? I just see brown. And I'm like so overwhelmed and frustrated that none of the buttons are doing what I want. Like I'm the kind of person that plays like, you know, the fighting games like Mortal Kombat and I just push buttons and that's how I win because somehow I find the good moves. <laughs> yeah. And so he's, I'm like trying to just even follow him. He's like, mom, just follow me. And I'm like, dude, all I see is brown. Okay, now all I see is blue. He's like, mom, like this, right? And I mean, I didn't last five minutes and I was like, I feel so stupid right now. I can't do this and I don't know how to connect with you and I'm getting dizzy and I feel so left out because I can't do this. And he turned around and he looked at me and he goes, mom, that's how I feel most of the time in our family. And I was like, oh my God, right? Like that is like (laughs) a a knife, totally. 
But the way he said it shocked me because when he said it, he looked at me and he was saying it out of compassion. But mom, I totally know how you feel. He didn't say it to like chuck it at me like you suck as a parent and yeah, I'm left out. He completely was like, oh, mom. It was empathetic. Yeah, I totally know how you feel. That's how I feel. Like, I get it. I'm so here with you, mom, while we're trying to play this game and you suck. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, oh, my gosh. Like, that is the power of using games and therapy right there is I got the setup. And I was me and I named it. And I breathed and I moved and I stayed connected to myself instead of chucking the remote and saying, this is stupid. Video games are done forever. Like I <laughs> sat in it with him. Right. And that was like one of the most huge connecting moments that he and I have had. That was really huge for me, too, to be like, oh, I now get you. Like yeah. every time I tell you to sit still or to sit right in the chair, <laughs> don't jump on my couch. Right. Like yeah. you're you're sitting here in just as much pain as I am with this game, just being around me, being so strict and annoying. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's such so a good in story. that same article that, uh, that it, for the Steamboat Springs uh, paper, I don't know if it was you or if it was somebody else in that article, but someone said that it's really important to play video games with your child. Uh-huh. Was that you? I think I might have said it in there <laughs> because of that example, right? Yeah, like okay. we want our kids to get out and play and, and to do sports and to do well in school. And we put all these things on them and they want to play a video game. So, hey, if you're going to have your kid do all these things that you think are valuable and important, why not join in your child's world and see what it's like a little bit? Mm. And they're in just as much pain sitting through their 20th violin lesson <laughs> <laughs> that you think is important as Please you your sitting and trying to the violin. I, my seventh grader plays cello, but he likes it. He's totally okay. self-motivated. My seventh grader plays violin. Oh, nice. <laughs> That's awesome. And my, he plays Minecraft. <laughs> sweet. My youngest, we tried to get him to play cello, but he, he was really good at it, but he thought it was stupid and didn't like it. So we let it go. Right. Cause he's his own person. That was like making mm-hmm. me play Minecraft. Yeah. 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 Does that mean that you've started a, a regular practice playing video games with your children? <laughs> so I sat down yesterday with my seventh grader and he tried to teach me to play Fortnite. <laughs> oh, okay. I'm pretty sure Minecraft is super easy. Yeah, I was about um, to say you uh you that have was a difficulty two controllers. Bump. Yeah, you have two you have two little joysticks that you move with, not just one. And I again kept seeing blue or green and I <laughs> couldn't move. And it was torturous. And so he was he was really sweet and he put it on some like profile of how to learn to play the game and I couldn't even do that. And he was like, It's okay, mom, you can watch me. <laughs> I was like, That's great, because I can't do that. <laughs> yeah. I need like the old school games that are simpler. Asteroids, Pac Man. Totally, you know, it, yes. It's, it's funny, Minecraft and Fortnite um, are the two games like in the last 10 years that have had this um like to to many kids and teenagers they aren't just games they're they're a world where they hang out with their friends right it's like mm-hmm. it's not even about the goal it's about it's it's a whole it's a place to them <laughs> it is and, it is yeah. literally a world to them cuz you watch yeah. the kids i mean here like the kids who don't have internet <laughs> or whose parents don't pay for Xbox Live or you know or they yeah. don't have a fancy computer like it's it's shocking watching my kids 
we make them pay for their Xbox Live by doing chores and earning money. Mm. That's great. And yeah. That's um, awesome. it's it's amazing watching them and putting in a priority for that because it literally, like my my poor, God, my kids can never listen to this. My poor youngest got. Um, he got cut off from video games because he got a little too sassy and was being a little too creative on getting out of the homework. Um, and I'm not a homeschool teacher and holy cow. So, so cutting him off though, my super social kid who thrives on being social and connecting with kids, that's why he goes to school. Cutting him off from video games was like killing him because his time connecting with his friends like it's it's hilarious like watching them and how they connect that it really is their their connection time that's their relationship building and it's not about you know the winning for i mean for some kids yeah it's about the winning but it's also about playing with your friends and and connecting with other kids and you watch them do the same slinging like set you up to feel how i feel even on the video games it's pretty hilarious <laughs> <laughs> right to watch some of those pieces but the yeah. part that scares me with that though is they're not getting the face-to-face interaction so they're i don't know it's a sneaky counterfeit connection mm. they're they're connecting and they're connecting in that same energy but they're not connecting um in the relationship in a way that you would have to if you had to face a person. I always, I always like to, I always like to uh, ha- have that argument because <laughs> I think, I think that there are so many benefits to it, and even uh, it's good practice. And there's almost an, an an extra level of intimacy in doing something or interacting with someone when there is a goal involved versus it's like a different practice in a way. And I think that. People who who never experienced that kind of thing also have other issues um, when trying to to interact. It's a I, I love this topic <laughs> in general, but I'm pretty I'm pretty positive on 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 the digital side. And I mean, and I think it's one thing that I've seen now with everybody being uh, online and through Zoom and things like that. I've noticed that. Uh, the type of person who regularly plays on something like uh, Fortnite or Minecraft or their years uh, is able to easily, like a lot of people I've seen, have been able to easily adapt through this in, in this new way of, of interacting in ways that have been interesting. Not that one is better than the other, but it's just, I think there are different skills involved that are all good. Yeah, it's not, it's not the thing you're using, it's how you're using it. Yeah, you can yeah. turn video games into something really bad into an escape, like yeah. a kid who, you know, doesn't have good social skills and is, you know, connecting only through video games, but doesn't know how to talk to a person for a full conversation or doesn't know how to do conflict resolution because they can just mute you <laughs> or kick you out of their group. Um, but then there's the other side of exploring those connections in a different way. And, it, you know, back when that, I was asked, that I have a friend and she said, you know, I really like you and I have a friend in New York and she needs help with her kid and I've referred her to you. And I'm like, okay, well, that's great. And so this lady, you know, contacts me and I'm like, you know, um, tell a video. I don't really believe this is before Corona. I was like, mm-hmm. I don't believe in doing televideo. Like it's really important to have that face-to-face connection. Um, outside of the side that I'm not licensed in New York and we can't work together. But I was just talking about the importance of face-to-face and how I don't do televideo sessions. 
and um and then coronavirus hit like everything shut down within like two weeks of that conversation and <laughs> so i started freaking out because i was like i can't see any of these little kids like <laughs> oh my gosh i can't do anything i'll just work with the parents over zoom <laughs> And so for like a week or two, that's all I did is just work with the parents over Zoom and like, let me support you to do what I do with your kid and, and this whole great thing in my head out of my own fear. And then one of the parents got so desperate. She's like, no, you're going to freaking see my kid. <laughs> like, We're done. <laughs> and that was like probably the most perfect magical play therapy session that in my career. And Over Zoom. Over Zoom. <laughs> and, and the kids are picking up right where they left off. They're not even missing a beat. And, and there's the idea that, um, you know, we, well, I could totally geek out on a whole nother subject, but we get into the neurobiology and we get into the science and, and, you know, being able to talk about now with science proof of the things that we've been exploring in these other areas. Um, and I think the more I get into, into all this, there's a whole, there's a whole side of human consciousness too. Mm -hmm. And, you know, at the, at the risk of sounding woohoo and out there, I'm um, doing a, a meditation class with a with an Orthodox rabbi. It's amazing. It's a Kabbalistic Kabbalistic meditation, and and so we learn about human consciousness and and all these different things. And it's been so fascinating to do Zoom sessions with these kids when we're not physically here. So I can't go on the whole thing of just the mirror neurons. Because <laughs> sometimes we're not even seeing each other, right? But we're still right. connected energetically. Like I still feel like we're still in it. It's the same thing continuing on. And however you want to explain that with science or whatever, like delving into the idea of, you know, we're connecting in consciousness. And that's a whole nother field that's a little out there in quantum physics and crazy stuff. Yeah, I was about to but, say like quantum entanglement. Well, yeah, that's the exactly. Exactly. Thing I was trying to think of quantum entanglement. But yeah, but that's <laughs> that's exactly right. Yeah. It's it's fascinating yeah. in some of these these electronic things and the way that you know kids are using games electronically and I don't know doing Zoom therapy sessions. Right, there's there's yeah. more to it there than than what our science is telling us. Also, which then will make haters hate me even more as a therapist. Well, if, if it'll make you feel any more comfortable about everything that you just said, yesterday in a conversation, in another podcast between me and Woody, I brought up the uh, Jung's collective unconscious multiple uh -huh. times. Yeah, yep. yeah, yep. that's it. Yes, totally. So, so here's the fascinating, fun thing, and this is something that ticked me off in grad school. So... Right in grad school, we have to take a multicultural class where we learn Ooh, that you got to. Don't gotta, get me started. Oh, don't I, get okay. Me started. <laughs> so in this though, in this though, you have to learn about the cultures of other people so you can learn to see through their lens and like this is mm -hmm. the idea in a nutshell, right? It's summarized um, so, stereotypical version of people. Okay, culture. but yeah. <laughs> right, yeah. but whoever has acknowledged that all the big founders of therapy are Jews. Young, Freud, like so many of them are Jewish. And you have to, it's, it kills me and it's, I could get on a big soapbox. Young, <laughs> Young and Freud both had one of them, I forget who's who, but one of them had his like grandfather was a Kabbalist, like was very much in the Jewish mysticism. And the other one, mm. his family, like he, there's like excerpts of like, he had, he would get found caught in the bathroom reading um, Kabbalah and like reading mystical texts because it wasn't okay. And they were both, if you look them up like on Wikipedia, it's like 
they might say maybe they were Jewish, like they were born Jewish, but they weren't really actually practicing or religious. But both mm-hmm. of those dudes have a line of Jewish mysticism of like in. And, and so it's it's fascinating because when you start looking at all this stuff, all their theories are um are deeply seated in Jewish mysticism. Like it's once you learn it, you're like, oh, well, that's Kabbalah. That's nothing new. He just yeah. figured out how to package it for normal people. And yeah. so that's my, my soapbox on multiculturalism is that our own <laughs> profession that says multiculturalism is important doesn't even look at the cultural background of our own profession and the, the beginnings of it. Just fascinating <laughs> to me. <laughs> my my core clinical training is in RBT, so Albert Ellis, and you know during that time there was a there was a lot of drugs, uh, uh-huh. and also <laughs> uh, his uh, most of what he's teaching he's just reframing Eastern uh, yeah philosophies and and religions right. so the yeah, wisdom traditions yeah, yeah. that's yeah. it's yeah. all <laughs> like when you look at you know if you call it Kabbalah if you call it Taoism Buddhism whatever those yeah. somebody I've do us talk with other therapists about spirituality and counseling and one of them used the term wisdom traditions and it's not her term yeah, but i was like "Ooh, i'm gonna use that because that's brilliant yeah it's a good term yeah. yeah 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 in in school we uh we often talked about the idea that the first therapists really were shamans mm-hmm. uh because shamans would go into the underworld on their drum journey and they would bring back something that would heal the person that came to see them Yep. Uh, so we're always rooted in our culture and, and I, I do take issue with someone teaching a multiculturalism class because I, I think the the cultural cultural competence is kind of a cop-out and what we need to be is culturally, uh, what is the word? It, there's a new term that's being used that that's meant to say basically that you can't be culturally aware of all the different things that are going on for another person but you can be uh, humble to it mm-hmm. and realize that you can't know that and so therefore you can be more open about it so I, I like that a lot yeah you uh, can't the know the point. culture unless you live in it <laughs> yeah. Like it you yeah, have to be exactly. in it to really understand it there's, there's this blog post on psychology today that I, I've shared a million times uh, I forgot who wrote it right now, but he was talking about being a professor and teaching multiculturalism and then getting to the part about religions and then getting to the part about Christianity and completely disagreeing with how it is represented and having the uh, epiphany of like, oh, is that what I'm doing with all the other (laughs) representations? (laughs) Is that how everybody else feels about the things that I don't uh, actually understand? (laughs) Yeah, that's, yep. What was this podcast about? Again? Yeah, I know. I was, I was just, just sitting here. I was like, wow, board games. Say, like, we need to come back to board games. Uh, <laughs> so coming back to board games, are there like, so I'm imagining your playroom, you have a lot of games on the shelf. Are there, what kinds of, are, are they just the kind of games that we've grown up with? Or do you have, do you introduce new games to them? Or is it pretty much, you can do whatever you want to do. I'm not going to really teach you how to play any new games. So the most important toy in the playroom is the therapist. <laughs> oh, I love that. That is that's Lisa's that term. So that happy. is not my turn. That's from Lisa Dion. <laughs> um, because right when you're when you're becoming a therapist, what toys should I have? What do I do? And there's oh my gosh, right? You can have so many things. Um, yeah. So 
in if you want to get down to the basic bare bones in games it's important to have games that um, reflect different ages so shoots and ladders candy land for the younger age um, idea um, I like Uno because it doesn't take up space <laughs> and, and that kind of thing. Um, I have chess uh, that also can be checkers. I do have memory. I don't know why. I think I buried it back in the back so kids don't see it. Um, and I'm trying to think what else is on my on my shelf. It's not. It's more important to have a span of games that you know are kind of well known that you know kids might have seen before, but that represent different ages. So you know when you see on the box like for ages two to four or for ages ten to whatever. Um, and part of the reason behind that is because if a kid who is in seventh grade walks in and wants to play shoots and ladders with me, um, I can get a get a pretty good gist on their social and emotional age too. So you kind of use what game is chosen in addition to how the game is played for also where, what we're working on in the room and gauging where they are in their emotional state at that time. That's a whole nother five million talks though. Yeah, that's um, like game as assessment tool basically. Yeah, you can use it as an assessment tool also. Yeah. Um, but I'm trying to think in my office, I have Trying to think of the other board games I have. I can't think in this moment. The modern game that you mentioned in the article was uh, Ticket to Ride, which I was pleased to see oh, was on there. Yes. That's a more modern game. I love that game. Have. Yeah. It's, my it's, it's in my game. room because I like it. Uh -huh. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes my games just reflect the games I like. Um, oh, the other one is Trouble or Sorry. Okay. That's a good one to work on hypervigilance. <laughs> Uh, yeah. So you can also pick games right for to elicit certain or Jenga, have uh -huh. Jenga. Um, I think those, yeah, trouble, sorry, um, and then I have sequence. Mm -hmm. Okay, um, I kind of know that one. So it, I kind of have to teach a lot of kids the rules of that one, or when you play by no rules, it gets really interesting. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Um, yeah, and I have I have a game called Blink that I really like, um, I use that one a little more directively. So we play by the rules of the game. Is, and that's the card game, right? It's a card game, yeah. It's yeah. so great for working with kids who get super hyper aroused and you you can't win the game unless you can regulate through your hyper arousal because it's a super fast paced game and you mm -hmm. have to think and you can't think unless you're regulated. And so it's a really great game for getting those kids who like think so fast. I use it a lot with some of my gifted and talented kids mm -hmm. or who just like their minds just go, 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 go. And they just get so fired up so fast because in to be able to play. So that game I use directively because it makes them have to breathe. And while I'm playing the game with them across from them, I'm breathing and I'm slightly rocking while I'm going, modeling it. And then once they cue into it, they always beat me, which is kind of annoying. <laughs> Uh, but, so you give them the skill, and then they beat you with the skill they get that you gave exactly. Them. And then I've worked myself out of a job, and we're done. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that what we want to do as therapists? That we That's want to work ourselves a hundred percent. My job, yes, is to work yeah. myself out of a job. <laughs> yep. So outside of the therapy room, do you play games with your family? All the time. We well, we're Jewish. <laughs> you couldn't tell by my soapbox before, but um. <laughs> <laughs> so every Friday night, all electronics, everything is turned off and we do dinner and we do our 
little Shabbos ritual. And then all day Saturday, all we do is play board games and hike and hang out and um, no electronics whatsoever. So we have to interact and play games, but we do play by the rules because we don't have a therapist to be a family <laughs> therapist for us. You have to be able to take the therapist hat off when you get home. You definitely, yes. Um, so yeah, so we play we play board games and we hang out and we read and sometime and when we first started doing it it was very painful <laughs> but now it's something that we all look forward to even my kids who in coronavirus time are like playing way too much video games and losing themselves in the virtual world actually last week got bored with video games and were like we want to see people and i was like oh there is hope for you <laughs> thought you were getting hopelessly addicted and will never go back and need therapy yourselves but um yeah, so we do our our favorites are Ticket to Ride and Rummy Cube and Catan. Okay. We have the yeah. yeah, we do Catan. Well, it's our favorite until one person keeps winning and then everybody gets annoyed, and then we move to a different game. Been there, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I feel like I have to ask you then. Do you know about Board Game Geek? I do not. Okay, so Board Game Geek is a website that chronicles basically this hobby of modern board gaming. Thousands and thousands of games are listed there. You can check them out by category. You can check them out by number of players, by by what intensity that you play at. And so uh, just to point you to, there are so many things that you guys can play that are amazing. Um, and that that's kind of the reason that Rolling for Change exists because we've tried to build up a better understanding of how these games make an impact on us and, and what what is the good of playing games. And so it sounds like for you, the good of playing games, especially in therapy, is that you're able to model appropriate emotional regulation and, and be alongside someone in that sort of humanistic way using the mirror neurons and, and uh, trying to, to give them an expression of themselves that they can see outside of themselves, which is awesome. Yep. That's kind of what that's we're trying to do with therapy all the time. Yes, that's um, exactly. And it's not directive, so it's not directive in a sense. So you're not really introducing new games except for maybe once in a while. Blink sounds great. I, I like Blink. Um, the the thing that I found when I started to said I've played a ton of Uno with kids in therapy. That is probably the most played <laughs> therapy game ever. Like yes. when when this thing happened, <laughs> the first thing that the therapists were asking me as their supervisor was, "Is there an online Uno?" Oh my god! <laughs> there is. There is actually several. Oh man! So luckily, my my therapists are still able to play uh, Uno with their kids online. Um, but what I what I was finding was that. And I didn't have a philosophy to go with this. I just knew, A, I liked games. And B, I wanted to be authentic and real with a client. And so I figured if we can take this out of, tell me all about your mother, uh, then I could probably get more into the child's world and try to see where they're coming from. And what I found is, and there's probably some some neuropsychology to back me up here what i found is that when there is a foreground activity like playing we'll say ticket to ride or something like that then the defenses that hold in place for all those background things that are always present are no longer as active and so i'm more likely to get to the core of what's going on with a child by playing a game with them 
in a non-directive way, except for you know the rules of the game, than I am to just ask them point blank direct questions. Totally. Yep. If you really want to get at it, you have your pile of games and you ask the kid, um, what's going on with your mom? And then you see what game they pick and how they play it. (laughs) There's your answer. I think that's why that's, so play is the language of kids. Yes. But I think one of you guys said, you know, I think play is the language of all of us. And I think it is too, but I think adults aren't, um, brave enough to, to do play anymore. In oh, terms we're, we're of trying to, hard to yeah to sit across <laughs> you know to have to have two like how I used to how I learned to use a sand tray and play therapy was by sitting by learning about it and then sitting across from another therapist and being the client right and then we go back and forth and that was probably the most vulnerable outside of using horses in therapy that was the most vulnerable <laughs> thing that I have ever had because your your stuff is coming out. Mm-hmm. And you're not filtering it like you're getting into your brainstem, like you're getting into deeper parts of your brain. You're getting into more unconscious, uh, subconscious, you know, kinds of stuff that um, that rises to the top. That's actually the roots of your problem. Um, and so that's why it's so much. That's why the results happen so much faster as well, because you're getting to the root of it instead of pulling the weed up and then searching down for the root. Um, so that's that's totally it's super fascinating (laughs) i'm just thinking about you know the idea that play therapy is is pretty vulnerable for therapists and i think it's because we've learned we've completely learned how not to play like we've gone through school after school after school to teach us how not to play and now we come out on the other end we're like no 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 (laughs) we need to be playing and now for some reason it's embarrassing to us or it's scary to us because we've forgotten how to play and so when you get down on the floor with a kid and that kid's totally all play and you're like i don't know what i'm doing here i don't know why i'm doing this who are you? Yeah. And the, well, the biggest thing with newer therapists when they're learning synergetic play therapy is I can't tell the kid I'm sad. I can't yeah. name my emotion in the room. What are you talking? I'm going to, that's going to freak the kid out or that's going to be, or am I putting my emotions on the kid? And am I, am I like implanting things into the kid? And I think that's, that's also part of it. Like, what if I'm wrong? And then what if I do damage by doing it? Um, and even as adults, like I do that talk with parents too on, um, you know, around even, especially now with all the coronavirus stuff, like if mom is stressed out about the bills and then she slaps on a smile and tells the kid everything's okay, she's actually become a threat to her kid's brain because she's not being congruent. Uh, And so she needs to actually say, you know what, mommy's just really, really stressed out and worried right now. And then she needs to take a breath or she needs to move her body or take a drink of water or do something to regulate herself. And it's actually when we when we show those hard emotions to kids and regulate through them, we're showing them that we're strong enough for them and that this is a permissible emotion to move into and to move through. It's it's similar to the idea of um, I was. Somebody had just posted a video on um, Peter Levine talking about pendulation and the the role of the therapist in pendulation that when we have a big emotion, we want to contract and move away from that emotion, yeah. right? And the, the job of the therapist is to say, okay, I get it, but in play therapy, it's stronger because we don't 
the, the kid can move away from the emotion, but we're the one experiencing the emotion too. So we get to actually model the regulating through it and get there even faster because we don't, the kid's in charge. So if they're getting, if it's too overwhelming, they're going to be like, oh, and let's stack blocks instead. They're going to switch the play if it's too intense. So our job is to keep it right on the edge of the window of tolerance that's just uncomfortable enough, but not to be flooding and to sit in that emotion with the kid and to work through it so that they can see, oh, I can be strong enough to do that too. Oh, I'm not gonna die, you know, or, you know, whatever. And that they can move into that emotion and start experiencing it and allowing it in their own body to come out and then regulate through it themselves. That's what actual empowerment is. It's been really fun talking to you, Sophie, because there's so much that you're saying that's got my, my brain peaking and I want to read more about synergetic play therapy now and and uh, uh, have this burning desire to send you a game because I, I think <laughs> you need to know there are more games <laughs> probably I'm yes I stick to the board um, so Lisa does a whole she does a class on using games in the playroom so really? if you're at all curious it will if you want to get a taste of synergetic play therapy um, it's, I think it's called board games in the playroom. Um, okay. if you look up on the website, she, she does classes on it and, um, it, it will blow your mind and then you'll want to convert to the cult of synergetic play therapy. And <laughs> I'm already pretty <laughs> close right now. <laughs> I'm already like, where can I find a book on synergetic play therapy? I need to know more. Yeah. She has a book called aggression in the playroom that okay. you can order. It's on Amazon. Um, it's aggression and therapy, I think. I See, this is the part that I was worried you'd ask me questions and I should know answers. Um, oh, it's fine. But her, her book is really great because that's the biggest thing therapists want to know is when things get scary, what do I do? So her book, it does a great job of explaining synergetic play therapy but in the terms of aggression. Um, when I typed aggression in into Amazon, it went straight to aggression and play therapy. Perfect. Good. Because <laughs> we want everybody to know about Lisa and how amazing she is. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm going to check out the, uh, I'm hoping that it's an online class that I can check out. I believe there is a few. Um, they just got a new website, the Synergetic Play Therapy Institute, synergeticplaytherapy.com. Okay. And... I believe there is something under training. She you know, does tons of podcasts and things. She does podcasts. She's super okay. smart like you guys. Um, <laughs> <laughs> My friend Brian, who is, uh, he's also been on the show and he runs a, a therapy practice. Um, he uses alt play as his uh, play therapy model. And it's just interesting to see all these different play therapy models that are coming in. And he had to really fight to get this worked out to do uh, what he wanted to do with his therapy. But he's now able to use games as his primary modality of therapy. And uh, um, But he, he talked to some other kinds of play therapy groups, and they're like, no, you can't do that. You can't use games in yeah. therapy. Yeah, yeah it's pretty clickish, the yeah. play therapy We've talked group. about the haters often yeah. uh, with Ryan, yeah. and <laughs> I've experienced it too, yeah. I, I think synergetic play therapy has gotten a lot of pushback here in the States, but um, it's gotten very, it's been very well received in Canada and Australia and all the, it's been interesting to see where it goes. It's all the, um, a little bit in England, um, all the, I don't know, more rebellious 
<laughs> groups and countries it's taken hold so it started in colorado there's a big group in oregon <laughs> it's Excellent. it's pretty okay. funny yeah <laughs> yeah i did a video games and play therapy uh workshop last year and we'll be uh, doing it again uh this year and it's yeah it's always interesting there's always someone who's like no <laughs> but other people are like yes please that's exactly what i need what i want give me oh i was just in a seminar it was two weeks ago and uh, I was really excited for the seminar because it's a seminar on using games uh, as tools for self-care. And inevitably, there was a few therapists there who were like uh, constantly trying to ask the question, but, but when is too much? Because they're talking about video games and they're trying to uh, link it back to this uh, uh, video game addiction uh, thing that, uh, that maybe exists, maybe doesn't exist. World Health Organization finally said it existed, but I, I still don't think it's... It's quite real. But there were all these people in the room who were kind of like, but yes, but what if, what if? And it, it was crazy. So there's all this kind of division in our, in our therapeutic world and in our view of things that we need to work to dispel. And I, I, synergetic, play, uh, synergetic play therapy seems like it's, it's working towards that dispelling some of those myths. So that's awesome. Yeah, and it's about what regulates you the best. Parents ask me all the time, how much is too much? Or divorced parents especially. He plays too much over there versus over there. What's the <laughs> rule, right? And, you know, we forget to think that video games are also an important time for parents to regulate. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. If I say I my kids can only have an hour a day right now with all the coronavirus stuff going on, like my kids going to be more damaged by being around me, being stressed <laughs> out, not being able to work, you know, yeah. all those things. I'm not going to be open to relationship with my kid that's potentially more damaging than him playing three hours of video games for the day while I'm working and in between his classes. So there's I talk to parents. It's more about regulating your body and being in tune with your body. So my kids get to play an hour and then if they want to play more they have to walk the dog for 30 minutes or move their bodies essentially regulate okay. themselves and then when they do something to regulate themselves they can get back on the video game and go back and forth so that's how we've chosen to deal with it in our family is just modulating the regulation in that way um so there's i don't know i see it more as how do you be creative with it and it's about mm -hmm. what works best for you and what helps you connect to your body more or to regulate your nervous system more and those kinds of things then the hard this is what you do because then it just turns into one big should and shoulds dysregulate us yeah i i now that i've heard you say this i i feel like man that sounds like a really great system i don't know how i think we've gone too far down the rabbit hole to get to that now uh, <laughs> with my son because he, he doesn't want to go outside. He doesn't want to do any of that stuff. I'm lucky that he's decided to start taking a walk with me on, on most days. He could do uh, 20 jumping jacks and then get back on. He doesn't have to yeah. go outside. Just move your body Just and connect physical. with it. Yeah. 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 Where you sit down and play the video game with him and you meet him in his world and then he meets you in your world and there's relationship and compromise and you're both tortured a little bit but you love each other enough to do it <laughs> <laughs> can we just tolerate each other for a little while <laughs> well sophie it's been fantastic to talk to you I, I appreciate it so much that you came on to talk to us um it's great to hear another therapist who's using games and therapy and who's who's striving to do something different in the world. I, I'm 
I'm really excited to learn more about everything you've talked about. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you. You're my first podcast ever. So thanks for making it easy <laughs> and not, not seem last. so scary. Yeah, this is, this is fun. <laughs> if people who are listening wanted to get in touch with you, where would they go? Um, probably email would be the best way. Um, okay. Growing potential now at gmail.com. That's pretty simple. Growing potential now at gmail.com. Excellent. And are you on TikTok? <laughs> I am so. I just got on WhatsApp and that was intense. <laughs> So, no, I've been told by many of my teenage clients I need to get on Snapchat so they can stop having to explain to me what it is and how it works. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, no, I have, I'm super old school. Email, email is becoming like snail mail to the new generations. It's, it's fascinating. It's <laughs> just not fast too. enough anymore. Yeah, they're like, whatever, <laughs> email. They don't even text anymore. It's like, it's crazy. I don't know. Who texts? This generation. Right? <laughs> and I live in a rural, small mountain town. Like, we don't have awesome internet. So I'm probably years behind the rest of the world anyway because I don't go to the big city a lot. So. <laughs> well, it, it's been very exciting to talk to you. And uh, I, I look forward to uh, talking to you again sometime in the future, hopefully. Awesome. Thank you so right. much. And if people want to know more about the Synergetic Play Therapy, it's SynergeticPlayTherapy.com where you can get on and learn more about that. Excellent. I'm headed there just as soon as we get done with this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> All right. So growingpotentialnow at gmail.com. And if you guys want to reach us, we are gamers at rollingforchange.com. And we advise you to keep on rolling for change. It's a little anticlimactic, but there we go. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. So much energy. <laughs> we advise you to keep on rolling for change. Bye now. <laughs> I get to get up and walk and discharge all my nervous energy now from sitting on my first podcast. Regulate myself. Excellent. <laughs> See, you did great because you know what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> well, Usually, yes, that's good. The problems come when, <laughs> when we, like, just like giving a presentation. And if you if you if you don't know what you're talking about, it's it's gonna go. It's probably gonna be harder. Once you get into the flow of talking about what what you know and what you do, yeah, it was great. It was great. Thanks so much for listening to Rolling for Change. We are a proud member of the Geek Therapy Network. At Geek Therapy, you'll find a network of supportive, creative, and kind people who geek out over games and other media. You can join the group by going to geektherapy.com/discord. Or check out the other great podcasts at network.geektherapy.com. If you'd like to reach Rolling for Change, you can email us at gamers at rollingforchange.com. Our theme music is by Rocket Scientist and can be found at bandcamp.com forward slash rocket scientist. Seriously, go buy Revolution Road. You'll not regret it. Until next time, best wishes on your journey and keep on rolling for change. <laughs>